The word of the Lord from Isaiah 56, verses 1 and 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those all ready gathered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our gospel proclamation comes from the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah appointed for the 12th Sunday after Pentecost and serves as the basis of our theme, Secure and at Home. Have you ever been around anyone that made you feel insecure? I mean, really insecure? Have those insecurities about that person caused you to even hate them because they're everything you want to be, but for some unknown reason, God simply didn't give those same gifts to you? I know. Rough, isn't it? You even avoid being around them because their very presence seems to amplify this reality to everyone. Even though, logically, nobody but you probably even notices. Working with junior high and high school age kids for over 20 years now, I can tell you, it's not exclusive to them. We all feel it from the time to time. But my favorite example of this happened in Jacksonville about 20 years ago with our high school youth at St. Peter. Every year, Jacksonville had a Christian group that sponsored a prom for all the kids that didn't get to go to prom. The ones that didn't have a boyfriend or girlfriend. The ones that simply couldn't afford it. And the ones that were just a little too shy and to try the big time prom and the social pressure that often came with it. So every year, my wife Marcy and I volunteered to take anyone that wanted to go from church and act as a sort of chaperone so their parents could trust them to go to the wrong side of Jacksonville. The group rented an ancient gutted theater for the event and only charged $5 per person to come until they reached capacity. And it was nice. They had great finger food that everyone loved. The air conditioning was excellent. The seats were taken out and replaced with a great dance floor, so there was plenty of room to dance. And the stage was left in place for a DJ and master of ceremonies for the evening. Appropriate songs were played, and everyone had the opportunity to dance with anyone they wanted to. Now one of our favorite kids in our church's youth group, Caleb, was visibly worked up just as the dancing started. Apparently, he had his eye on a cute girl. He just couldn't muster up the confidence to ask to dance. I've no doubt she would have said yes as she was out there dancing away, and she seemed very amiable to dancing with anyone that would join her. 
So as Caleb stood by me, refusing to hit the floor, even though he desperately wanted to, I commented, Caleb, look, she's having a great time out there. Just go over and dance with her. Now I know. I come from a different time. And maybe that's not what kids normally did at their high school dances. But it was obvious to me that was not the case in this venue. Everyone was dancing with everyone. But not in poor Caleb's mind as he energetically replied, No way, Pastor. I'll just embarrass myself and she won't like me. As I looked at the dancers, I pushed back. Well, what about that boy in front of her doing the rainbird? Or what about the one next to her doing the oh my? Or how about the one facing the other way behind her doing the drowning man? It appears to me that she is laughing and having a good time with them. He retorted right back. No way, Pastor. I don't want to look like an idiot like they do. I tried not to have hurt feelings, remembering I used those exact same dance moves when I was in high school. Ah, youth is indeed wasted on the young. But I acknowledged that the fear of being exposed is real fear. And sometimes just being around fearless people makes us more afraid than we ever would have been before being compared to them. When God says in verse 1 of today's prophecy of Isaiah, my deliverance will be revealed, he's talking about exposure. And in fact, nakedness like we can never conceive of. And while we should be fearful of our sins being laid bare before our Lord, <clears throat> we must acknowledge the fear the people of God were feeling then and why we know that was true right up to Jesus' day. First, there was fear of anyone outside the chosen people of Israel, and reasonably so. Their record with the Egyptians, Amalekites, Philistines, Assyrians, Babylonians, and Greeks right up to Jesus' day was not a great one. From slavery in Egypt and battles for the Holy Land and the desecration of abomination laid upon the altar of God in the temple by Antiochus Epiphanes, one of Alexander the Great's four generals that took over his kingdom. They, as a rule, were all horrible enemies to Israel. Yet from among them would come those who would believe in the one true God. And they would be welcomed in the Lord's house of prayer. We see God's insistence on this with Jesus himself in Matthew 21, when he drove the moneylenders out of the temple, in of all places, the court of the Gentiles. In our devotion for staff on Tuesday from the Lutheran Hour Ministries, Carrie Vos said concerning this, King Herod's remodeling job on the temple included courts for women and Gentiles, though these were not a part of God's building plan in the Bible. In Herod's plan, these people were not supposed to come any closer to the holy areas. When I read that devotion, I had to ask myself, why? Why would people who, according to Isaiah, were keeping the Sabbath be kept out of the Lord's house of prayer. 
And Jesus clearly sees Herod's temple for what it is, saying, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And I realized they were afraid of being exposed for the frauds that they are. They wanted their justification by right of birth. And the foreigners who kept the Sabbath would expose the truth that we are in fact justified by faith. I think I know what they were also afraid of. I think they were afraid of the foreigners would show them up and expose their sinful lust for power over the temple rather than praying alongside them for one another and the Savior they longed for. I think they were afraid Jesus, who could expose their hearts and minds in front of the people and show that they worship their own works righteousness rather than God. I think they were afraid that a man who came in peace would overthrow the most powerful empire in the world had ever known up to that point without lifting a single sword or spear to do so. I think they were afraid to believe that everything they thought was right was in fact wrong. And that meant they were truly naked and helpless before God. It's a fascinating point in your spiritual life when you've come to the realization that you have been defining God and now it's time to let God define you. It makes you feel naked, exposed, embarrassed, and humble beyond all belief. But then you can see the cross clearly for the first time and realize what Isaiah meant by God's righteousness being revealed, naked for everyone to see. For it was our Lord lying there, not exposing our nakedness, but his, humiliated and embarrassed to save us from the shameful death we deserve. Then we see the inscription on the cross. This is the king of the Jews, written in Greek, Aramaic, and Latin. And we realize he was the sacrifice for all peoples to come to the Father. And there at Golgotha, every knee would bow to their true king of the universe. And now to this very day, God gathers his own. As Jesus says in John chapter 10, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also so they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. And today, there is one creed we confess, one savior we acknowledge to be the savior of the world and one God to return to when he gathers us home. One of my favorite country music stars is Eric Church. Not a fan of his personal politics, but I still love his music. And he wrote a song some years back called Homeboy. It's a great country song about a brother in the country calling his small town friend who embraced all that was negative about being a homeboy in the hip hop culture. Drugs, violence, sagging pants, and the like. The story of the song goes that he abused his parents and left home because of it. 
The music drives the sadness of the story and soulfully calls out to the wayward boy to come back for an opportunity for redemption with a little hard but humbling work. But the real story is the health of his parents who are failing. And the songwriter just wants homeboy to come home, singing in the last refrain for him to come home before his parents are called home, boy. Some of us know that boy or girl. Some of us were once that boy or girl. Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls everyone home, no matter how far from home they may be, where Jesus has already made a home for everybody. Amen. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.